this year? Oh, we want to have a simple Christmas, don't we? We uh, kind of launched into this last week. I think all of us have this desire within us to to make sure that we get the real meaning out of Christmas. I mean, we want to we want to make sure that we're not distracted by the endless list of things that we want to accomplish, and we want to make sure that we're paying attention to God. And so we're we're in this series uh, talking about how it is it that we could have a simple Christmas. Last week we uh, talked about uh, some things we could do to worship God, to keep our focus on Him. And we tried to lay out some really practical things that you could do to, to just stay focused on God. Anybody notice some manger scenes around town this week after we talked about that? Yeah, a little more noticeable to you once that's in your mind, isn't it? And uh, hopefully when you saw those, you took a moment right there to say, God, thanks. Thanks for sending light into our dark world. Uh, maybe when you were in the stores this week, you paid a little more attention to some of the music they were playing and, and heard some songs, and maybe for, for you, just for a moment there, you kind of had a moment to worship God right in the middle of the store and to say uh, thank you. Um, maybe you had family devotions together. You started doing that, and you're reading through some of the passages that talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, maybe you went and prayed for somebody this week. That would be a great way for you to just stay focused. And so we talked about a lot of those uh, practical things. And last week what we talked about, you know, it was pretty easy and uh, probably for a lot of you, it's like, yeah, that, that's great, Jeff. That's, you're right. Well, we, we're, we're on board with you. We want to stay focused on the meaning of Christmas. What we're going to talk about this week is not quite so easy. And some of you may not quite so readily be ready to jump on board. We're going to talk about something that's a little more difficult for us uh, to get our minds and our hearts around today. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, why don't you uh, take them out and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at a, very, a pretty familiar story here. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament part of your Bible, and I uh, hope you'll have that and I hope you'll follow along and read along with me today. Let me give you just a little background to kind of set the story. Uh, Matthew tells kind of the condensed version of the actual birth of Jesus Christ, and then he spends a little more time uh, talking about the appearance of the wise men or the magi, and it's uh, where we get that part of the story from, and uh, sometimes it doesn't get a lot of attention. And in fact, we have some misinformation sometimes about the Magi and their appearance and everything. So I want to look at this a little bit today. So Matthew chapter 2 uh, begins after the birth of Jesus. In fact, um, I know the manger scenes all show the wise men right there at the stable worshiping the baby in the little feeding trough, but uh, that's not historically accurate. It was as much as two years later before the Magi ever showed up. Mary and Joseph were living in a home, a house of some kind, and almost two years later, the Magi finally make their way uh, to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus. And that was where we pick up the story in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Now these, uh, King Herod, uh, there is a long line of King Herod. Uh, this particular one reigns from about uh, 37 B.C. all the way to 4 B.C. He is the eldest son of a guy named Antipater, uh, I'm sure you know you know well from history. Um, most of you never heard of him, and neither had I until years ago. And uh, But he is a ruthless ruler at this time, a ruthless ruler, and uh, just does some very uh, intimidating things as he reigns during this time. Now, the Magi come from the east. Um, the word Magi actually comes from an Iranian word that means uh, interested in strange things. And a lot of people thought these Magi were interested in some strange things. And uh, these guys came from as far away as 500 or 1,000 miles from, uh, many believe, from Persia or from uh, Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq. 
And these guys who, the strange things they were interested in, they had an interest in astronomy and astrology, which again to us today, that's kind of a strange combination of things, isn't it? But to them, it was very normal. They were considered very wise and they make this long journey uh, to come to the place where Jesus has been born. And we always see uh, three of them and yet there's really no biblical evidence for how many of them came. Certainly they probably traveled in a large entourage as they made this long journey to find the baby Jesus and they come to him and then we pick it back up in verse 2. And they came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, their uh, commentators have tried to figure out exactly what is the star that they saw. Was it a real star? What did they see? And there are a number of theories. Some believe that uh, Halley's Comet appeared around this time, and that's the star that led them to Bethlehem. Others uh, have said that around this same time, they believe that Jupiter and Saturn were in uh, a perfect line, and maybe that's the star that led their way. Others uh, believe that there was an eruption on a star and uh, created this bright light that led them. There are others, and this might be the camp that I fall into, um, who just think that God probably placed a star exactly where it needed to be uh, to lead them to Bethlehem to discover Jesus. But they they make the journey. They come to worship Him. Verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with them. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. And then they quote from the Old Testament, Micah chapter 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship Him. Now, if you keep reading the story a little beyond where we're going to go this morning in Matthew chapter 2, you quickly discover the last few lines there by Herod, they're just an outright lie. He has no desire to go worship the baby Jesus. He he has a completely different focus. Herod's a bad dude. He really is. He, um, He would squash anybody that he thought was a threat to him, including his own family. In fact, again, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, you discover that a short time later, Herod sends out a decree. He orders a massacre of all of the children aged 2 and younger, all the boys aged 2 and younger in the region of Bethlehem. Why? Because he felt threatened by Jesus and he squashed anything that threatened him. You see, here's a lesson for us. Herod had the wrong focus. The Messiah, the long-awaited, often-predicted Messiah, the Savior, had come into the world. The light of Jesus had entered into our sin-darkened world. The peace that people needed in their lives had finally arrived. But Herod only saw a threat to his kingdom. He, He saw a threat to his power. He saw a a threat to all of this stuff that he was putting together for himself. And the threat to his kingdom became his greatest distraction. And I think at Christmas, our greatest distraction is the kingdom of consumerism. We are distracted by our indulgence in consumerism. 
And just as Herod was blinded by his desire to protect his power and to continue to build his kingdom for his own honor, we are often blinded to the true meaning of Christmas because we are pursuing the kingdom of consumerism. We bow at the temple of the mall. When, uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas cartoons growing up is the story uh, of the Grinch who stole Christmas. And you know the story. Uh, he sees these people in Whoville and he's bothered by their celebration of Christmas. And so he decides he's going to take away Christmas this year. And on Christmas Eve, he goes down into the village and he takes all the ornaments off the trees and all their decorations and all the presents. And he packs it up in this monster bag. And somehow, you know, through the magic of cartoons, he's able to by himself haul that giant bag back up to, to where he lives. And he thinks he has stopped Christmas in the village of Whoville. But you know what happens the next morning? He hears the sound of them singing from that village and realizes he couldn't steal Christmas. I think we have the opposite problem. We think that we haven't really celebrated Christmas unless we have given lots of gifts. Unless the the tree is buried in gifts, then we just haven't really celebrated Christmas. But I think maybe we have the wrong focus. I was uh, reading a couple weeks ago about the song 12 Days of Christmas. There is a a research company that every year for I think the last 20-some years has been uh, taking all of the items mentioned in all of the verses of the 12 Days of Christmas and figuring how much it would cost current day to purchase all of those items. And they did the study again this year. And if you bought all of the items mentioned in all of the verses that are repeated over and over, it would cost you nearly $100,000 to purchase all of those things. The thing that's gone up in value the most in the song, the five golden rings, because gold has risen sharply this year. They also figured out that if you bought just one of each item mentioned in the song, it would cost you about $23,000. So I doubt that any of us are going to go out and purchase all of the items mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas. Do you know that America uh, this year, again, will spend somewhere around $450 billion billion dollars in our celebration of Christmas. The average American family over the last couple of years, they have discovered, spends somewhere between $500 and $1,000 to celebrate Christmas. And here is the most startling statistic to me. The average American family, it will take them six months to pay off the debt that they accumulate just to celebrate Christmas. Does that really make sense to you? I mean, does it? Hey, I want you to do something for me. Uh, turn to your neighbor. Everybody play along here. Turn to your neighbor and tell them everything you got for Christmas last year. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it probably, can you, most of you? I mean, unless you got only one really big thing, you, you don't remember all the things that you got for Christmas last year. They are a forgotten memory. I mean, does that really make sense to us? I am... Um, I get the emails, you probably do too, the emails that are encouraging me to boycott certain stores because they've taken Christ out of Christmas and people are worked up about that and there are petitions and people have bumper stickers and and trust me, I get it. I do not want to take Christ out of Christmas. I don't. But here's the question I wonder if we shouldn't be asking. Do you think Jesus really wants His name attached to what Christmas has come to mean at Walmart and Target and Coles and wherever? 
I mean, do you think Jesus wants His name attached to our consumer version of Christmas? As a, as a side note to all of that, I also wonder when I see all of those things, are people indicating that they think it's the responsibility of Walmart or Target to tell people the story of Jesus? Wouldn't that be our responsibility? Now, now hear me. Listen. I am not trying to be the Scrooge. Okay? And I am not suggesting, I am not suggesting that it is wrong for us to give gifts at Christmas. That's a good thing. What I am suggesting is that our overindulgence in consumerism, our over-the-top spending at Christmas, our overindulgence in extravagance at Christmas time does not honor the Savior who was born in a stable. We're out of focus. We've got the wrong focus, just like Herod did. There's an old story about a way to catch a monkey. That if you take a, uh, like a mason jar and uh, you secure it to a tree or something, and then you place a banana or an orange or an iPhone or something you know, that a, a monkey would really want in that jar, and the monkey comes along and sticks his hand in there, and when he goes to make a fist, he can't get his hand out of the jar, and because the, the monkey wants so badly what is, whatever's in there, it won't let go, and they come along and catch the monkey. You know what I learned recently? That's not true. Monkeys are smart enough, if they can't get it out after the first couple of tries, to let go and move on so they don't get captured. You know what species isn't smart enough to let go? Just go drive around to some of the stores this Christmas and you'll find a whole bunch of monkey jars and a lot of people who just won't let go of the concept that Christmas is all about spending and money. It's all about consumerism. We are trapped by this wrong focus that we continue to hold on to. These wise men, though, the Magi, they had a different focus. Listen to what it says in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another way. Like Simeon, who we talked about last week, these magi were focused on Jesus. Now understand, they, they had had a, they, it was a long, wearisome journey they took to find Jesus. They had to face a lot of opposition. They left behind at home the personal comforts of home. They made a lot of personal sacrifices. But when they finally arrived where Jesus was, they were filled with joy. And Matthew says they worshipped Him. And one of the ways they worshipped was by giving gifts to honor Jesus. And I think that the gift giving of these wise men models and teaches some principles for us about gift-giving that we ought to put into our lives. Let me point out some lessons that I see here. First, their gift-giving had meaning and purpose. Their gifts were full of meaning and purpose. They gave gold to Jesus. Now, gold was a gift that you would give to a king. How appropriate. 
After all, Jesus was the King of all kings. He had always been the King of the universe. He was King above all kings on earth. So how appropriate to honor Him with a gift of gold signifying they understood He was King. They gave Him the gift of frankincense, or some translations just say incense, which was a gift that you would give to a priest. How appropriate. After all, Jesus was our high priest. Jesus was the one who would tear down all of the barriers that had been separating people from our personal relationship with God. He made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. And so this incense was a very appropriate and meaningful gift. They gave the gift of myrrh, which was a spice used to embalm people. How appropriate. Because ultimately Jesus would die on the cross to pay the penalty of the sins of these wise men and to pay the penalty of our sin. Their gifts that they gave were filled with meaning and purpose. It's quite likely that the gold that they gave, that's what made it possible for Mary and Joseph and Jesus to flee to Egypt to get away from Herod to protect Jesus' life. That gold probably paid for the journey. Their gifts were filled with purpose. Secondly, I notice about their gifts. Their gifts were given with great joy. They were given with great joy. There was no sense of obligation. There was no sense of guilt. They gave with joy. You ever given a gift for a gift gift? You know what I mean by that? Yeah, we all play the game, right? Somebody gives us a gift. And then we feel the obligation to go out and find a gift of equal size and value and, and to give them a gift. And it becomes a gift for a gift gift. There was none of that for these guys. There was no sense that they owed Jesus a gift. There was no obligation. They gave out of generosity and they gave out of the joy of their heart. And then here's the third lesson. And I think this one's really important. These wise men... They gave within their means. They gave within their means. These guys were wealthy. And so for them to give gifts of gold and incense and myrrh was well within their means. They didn't have to pull out their visa or their MasterCard. They didn't go into debt that they had to pay off over the next six months. What they gave was within their means as a way for them to honor Jesus. What if this Christmas what if this Christmas, in our attempts to live a simple Christmas, we had a different view about giving gifts? What if we determined that we were going to make sure that the gifts we gave were given with meaning and purpose? What if we determined the gifts that we give this year were given with a great sense of generosity and joy, that we were going to eliminate the gifts that we give out of guilt and obligation? And what if this Christmas we determined we were going to give within our means. What would that look like? Well, just as I tried to do last week, let me this week try to give you some practical suggestions that might help us to live out that kind of gift giving in our lives and to keep our Christmas simple and focused on the light that came to our dark, dark world. First suggestion I would make is this. Decide that you are not going to go into debt to pay for your Christmas. And some of you are thinking, oh, man, I wish you'd have said that a couple of weeks ago because we've already piled up the debt. And I told you you wouldn't be comfortable with some of the things I'm going to say this morning. You may not be ready to jump on board with this, but here's what I'd suggest. 
Some of you have already gone into debt. You ought to gather up those things this week and take them back to the store and determine that you are going to give gifts that are within your means. And you are not going to go into debt for Christmas. You know what? Going into debt doesn't honor the Savior who was born in the stable. The Old Testament talks about when we borrow money or when we live on credit, that we are becoming a slave to the lender. And I don't think us becoming slaves to people that we've borrowed money from was part of the picture that Jesus would have for us celebrating His arrival here on earth. So my first suggestion is, don't go into debt to celebrate the arrival of the Savior. The second suggestion I would make is to give fewer gifts. Now, I'll be the enemy of some of your children by suggesting this, but you know what? When we drown our kids in stuff, when we drown them in gifts at Christmas time, we are sending all the wrong messages. We're sending the message that Christmas is about getting gifts. It's about stuff. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Christmas is about celebrating the arrival of our Savior. And so what would happen this year if you just decided you were going to give fewer gifts? You know what? You would not be communicating to your children that you love them less if the tree isn't covered in gifts. In fact, just the opposite might be true. You would actually be communicating to them that you love them if you took the emphasis off of so many gifts and put the emphasis back on Jesus. Husbands, I have a suggestion for you. I, I saw a story this week um, uh, a wife said to her husband one day, or actually, I'm sorry, she wrote on the, a piece of paper kind of her wish list for Christmas, one of the things, and she stuck it on the refrigerator where he would see it. And the husband came in and read, and she had written, I want you to buy me something that will make me look really beautiful and sexy. So the husband, he knew immediately what to go purchase. And he went out and, and found the perfect thing, had it all ready for her on Christmas morning. Now she came out that Christmas morning expecting something like maybe she'd open a box and it'd have some really beautiful lingerie in it. Well, her husband had gone, I mean, he had gone all out. So she came out of the bedroom around the corner and there, there it was in front of the Christmas tree. He had purchased her a treadmill. I wouldn't suggest that. I'd buy far fewer gifts, guys, if that's what you had on your, on your list. Here's another suggestion. Make some homemade gifts. Rather than spending all of your money trying to go out and buy store-bought gifts, and I know that doesn't sound like it helps the economy, and it probably doesn't in a way, but do some homemade gifts. Live within your means. Make some gifts at home that have meaning and purpose for other people. Decide you're going to have a night where you're all going to bake together. Not mom's in the kitchen baking and everybody else in the living room, but together you're all going to go in and you're going to bake some things together and you're going to give those as gifts. Or, or decide that you're going to come up with some other crafty ideas and things that you can make together as a family that will be an expression of your love for, for people that you want to give gifts to and give some homemade things this year. Now here's another suggestion. Give some gifts of compassion. Some gifts of compassion. Do something as gifts to other people. For instance, we're doing this uh, carols and kindness on Christmas Eve. We're doing that because we think that is a great expression of our love to the people that we're going to go serve, some people, some families we are, know are struggling. But we're also doing it because it's a way for our families that are represented by Crosspoint to give some gifts of compassion. It's a way for us as parents to model for our kids that Christmas isn't just about us. 
It's about other people. And we're going to do something in kindness for other people. You've heard me uh, talk about, there's some organizations that you could give some money to. Maybe part of what you need to do this year to give some gifts of compassion is you need to get together as a family and determine, you know what, we're going to buy a few less gifts for each other. And we're going to take some of the money that we would have spent on gifts for each other and we're going to do something to bless people in another part of the world. I talked a few weeks ago about an organization called Charity Water whose goal is to make sure that everybody on planet Earth has clean drinking water because dirty drinking water causes much of the disease that kills people around our globe. And so maybe this year, you know, rather than some gifts for other people, you would decide you want to give a gift to an organization like that to help people have clean water. I said earlier that we spend every year as Americans $450 billion on Christmas for just $10 billion, every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth could have clean drinking water. Maybe you want to invest in what they call microfinance. And I don't have time to explain how all of that works, but I'll send you to a website. You can go to kiva.org, K-I-V-A dot org, and read about microfinancing and how your investment of a little bit of money helps somebody in another part of the world who's struggling get on their feet and build their own business and not be dependent on others anymore. And maybe that'd be a way for you to invest your money. Maybe you want to give gifts of compassion on Christmas morning when you get up. As a family, maybe you determine, hey, we're going to go serve others before we open our gifts. And maybe you get up and together as a family, you, you make some Christmas uh, or some breakfast items. And you go to some of your neighbors and you knock on their door and say, hey, here's some breakfast from us. Just a way for us to let you know that we love you because God loves you. What a great way that would be to focus back in your home what Christmas is all about. Here's another suggestion. Give the gift of presence. Not presence like under the tree, but the presence of being there. Give the gift of your time. As a family, rather than maybe buying some gifts for each other, why don't you take some of the money that you were spent on gifts and decide that you're going to go do something as a family that will build a memory. You know what? Those kinds of memories, the things that you do together as a family, will last far longer than any present that you probably put under the tree. As a couple, maybe you decide instead of spending a lot of money on gifts for each other, why don't we take that money and let's plan some time to go away together and just invest in our relationship. Maybe you give the gift of presents, the gift of time, by making up some coupons. Giving them to family or people that you care about. Uh, you know, I heard about a dad who gave his son a stack of coupons for wrestling. And he said to his son, you, anytime that we're home, you bring one of these coupons to me. I'll stop whatever I'm doing and for five minutes we'll just wrestle on the floor together. Uh, maybe you want to give the gift of time to your children. Give them some coupons that are good for lunch out with dad or mom. Or coupons that are good for, hey, I'll come to school and have lunch with you. I assume you can, I hope you can still do that. Um, I just want to spend time with you. Give the gift of presence. One more suggestion. Tell others about Jesus. You know what gift that many of your friends and your family and your neighbors need more than they need anything else this Christmas? They need to know about Jesus. They need to know that Jesus died on the cross for them. And the greatest gift you could give them this year is to point them to Jesus. Invite them to come to church next week. Uh, we're gonna, it'll be a great Christmas celebration and we're going to do some really great stuff with music. And then what I'm going to do next week, if you bring your friends, or even if you don't bring your friends, but what, what I'm going to do is in the clearest, simplest terms I can, I'm going to tell the story of Jesus and the coming of grace to 
coming of our Savior and the difference that He makes in all of our lives. So if you want your friends to know Jesus this Christmas, bring them with you next week. And we'll do our best to open their eyes and point them to Jesus. There's an old, uh, there's an old preacher. I don't know a different, better term to call this old guy. His name's Fred Craddock, and he's an old preacher. We don't, hardly anybody ever uses that term anymore. Uh, it's kind of out of date, but, but when I think about this guy, that, that's how you describe him. He's an old preacher. And uh, he, he used to tell this story or kind of make this illustration. A lot of times when we think about investing our lives for God, we think about like laying it all down at one time. He, he pictured it like this. He said, if you picture your life as a thousand dollars, he said, usually we think that if we're going to do something for God, we've got to put down all $1,000 at one time. We've got to do something that's really dramatic for God. He said, don't see life that way. He said, instead, you ought to picture taking that $1,000 to the bank and getting it exchanged for quarters. And then throughout your life, you have all these opportunities to invest 25 cents here and 50 cents here just in simple ways of investing your life in other people. And what if this Christmas, as we had opportunity, we just looked for those times where we could invest 25 cents in somebody here and 50 cents here, not literally, but 50, that part of our life. If we could just make those small investments of our life in other people this Christmas season. What difference would it make for them and what a difference it would make for us? Because it, it would keep us focused on what Christmas is really all about. I'm hoping this year that all of us could celebrate a simple Christmas. Free of some of the distractions. Free of bowing our knees at the kingdom of consumerism. And we could just gather our families around us. And together we could celebrate the fact that the light of the world came at Christmas. That's what it's all about. Let's pray together. God, thank You for the coming of Jesus. God, a lot of what we've talked about today is challenging. Because we live in this culture that says it's so much about all this stuff and all of the, the wrapping and the outward stuff. And I'm just asking that this Christmas for all of us, would You just help us to fight through that stuff? And God, bring our hearts and our minds and our lives, our families, back to what it's really all about. Back to just celebrating Jesus. The baby who grew to be a man who died on the cross. God, keep us focused. Keep us free from the distractions. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.